0: Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message with teaching pastor, Daryl Feimster.
1: School's out. Little boy went home and said, Mom, my teacher was asking me today if I had any brothers or sisters who were to be coming to school. Mom said, well, that's nice of her to take such an interest in you. What did you, what did you say when you told her you were an only child? Thank goodness. A dad has, uh, I heard a teacher say it's true, <clears throat> a dad scolded his son for being so unruly and the child walked off in a huff to his room and he came back out in the moment with some of his clothes and his teddy bear and his piggy bank and he proudly announced, I'm running away from home. The dad calmly asked, well, what if you get hungry? I'll come home and eat. What if you run out of money? I'll come home and get some. What if your clothes get dirty? And I'll come home and let mommy." me... Mommy washed them. Dad shook his head and turned to his mom and said, This kid's not running away from home. He's going off to college. Turn to Luke chapter 15. Turn to Luke chapter 15. We're in a series called Learning to Live Loved. Paul prayed, the text that we've been using kind of as a foundation of this, Paul prayed in Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. He prayed that God, that christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in agape love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width the length and the depth and the height to know the love of christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of god learning to live loved we know we've heard it god loves you god loves everybody we know that God, the Scripture says, God is love. That's His nature, His character, the essence and expression of His person. The question is, do we, know, do we know that love on a personal living level? Do we live our lives on the basis or the foundation of the agape love of God? Now most of us, especially in the church, we talk a good game. But we tend to walk out our own perception of God's love for us. And if we're honest, most of us measure God's love by circumstances or by blessings or by stuff. The stuff of life. So the title of the message this morning is Stuff's Not Enough. Stuff's Not Enough when it comes to understanding God's agape love. We're going to be looking at Luke 15, and we're going to start reading in verse 11, but uh, the context of this is the Pharisees and teachers, lawyers came to Jesus and said, why are you eating with publicans and sinners? Why are you spending time with them? Why are you associating with them? And Jesus tells three stories. He tells the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost sons. And we're going to be looking this, this morning at the one of the lost sons luke 15 verse 11 then jesus said a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father father give me the portion of goods that falls to me so he divided to them his livelihood traditionally this story is called the parable of the prodigal son and uh it's been told and retold. I've preached it numbers of times. And, 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 uh, but here's the honest thing. Every time I come back to this passage of Scripture, God shows me something different. And as we were talking about learning to live loved, uh, I couldn't get this out of mind. And God's shown me something different too today. In other words, by calling this the story of the prodigal, we miss the central figure in the story. The central figure in the story is not the son's. The central figure in the story is the Father. The loving Father. And the word love is not even used in this this story and yet it is demonstrated probably the most powerful way in Scripture. The request, Father give me. Anybody heard that? Father give me. Father give me. Have Anybody ever said that? Father give me. It's amazing. Give me. But you must understand in that culture what he was asking for in the audacity of his request was he is asking for his inheritance. Give me that portion that falls to me. There, In in Jewish law there is the laws of inheritance and, and the son knew that. He understood also that uh, his portion was just going to be a third. Two thirds was going to go to his older brother. But he said, Lord, uh, Father... Uh, Give me the portion of goods that falls to me. the, The laws of inheritance, in other words, he really couldn't get this until his father had died. And asking for his inheritance while he was still alive is the height of rebellion and dishonor. In essence, what he was saying is, Father, I wish you were dead. Or, Father, you're as good as dead to me, so go ahead and give me my portion. And what's just so strange is, look at the next word. So he divided to them his livelihood. The Father divided to them his livelihood. The word livelihood here in the Greek is different than what you would expect. What the literal word here is, is bios. We get our word biology from. He divided to them his life, his living. In other words, he didn't just divide what the property he had, he divided his life. He was the property. He was everything that this was to be. In other words, he divided his life to them, his living to them. All that he had that was included in his life, was given over to them and notice the word them there was two sons the elder brother was there now in tradition and in the jewish laws of inheritance in fact there's one in leviticus that says that the father should have slapped the guys the kids face right there and if he turned on to it he should have been stoned to death that was the laws of inheritance So those people that are listening, the Pharisees and the lawyers who would have known the law, are listening to him tell this story. And Jesus is a remarkable storyteller. He always gets, unlike preachers, he always gets his point across. You'll get that in a minute in the who. The response, he divided. The father gave all that he had. Two-thirds went to the elder son, a third went to the younger son. That would have been the height of foolishness. You don't enable rebellion, you squash it. The father gave them the choice, the responsibility, the freedom to walk in his life. Verse 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered together, all gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions in prodigal or wasteful living. The words gathered together. Uh, gathered all together, means that he liquidated his portion. Uh, He turned it into cash. You see, the laws of inheritance says that the father could initiate the action. In other words, he could change the, the names on the title and divide the property between his sons, but the father still retains the rights and the privileges of everything until he dies. The son had his name on the title of a third but that third wasn't going to be available until the father's dead. So for the son to gather all meant that he liquidated his name on the title of a deed that was not going to be any good until the father died. How many of you know if you're the buyer of liquidation, of something that you can't get until he dies, you're going to offer a little bit of money. So basically, the young son says, I'm so desperate to get away from this house, I will sell it at a bargain. And so he gathers all together and he leaves. What this is telling in Jesus' story, what this is saying is, is he wasn't just leaving. It's a drastic rejection of the father, the family, and the community. And it's being said all over the world today. Here's what that young son was saying: I can handle life myself. Give me my portion. I'll sell it at a bargain, and then I'll take that, and I will live life the way I want to live it, to the work, to the place I want to live it. I'm done with you. I, here's what he literally is saying: I will save myself. Who needs the father? Verse 14, But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave to him anything or gave him anything. He spent it all. In other words, he had the choice. He had the right. It was his. He spent it all. You do know money talks. Says goodbye. Especially today. Four dollar gas. Goodbye. I want to I tell you a principle. I want to show you a principle. It's, it's uh, eternally true. You are free to choose your sins. But you're not free to choose the consequences. You can choose how you're going to live. But you do not get to choose the results of your living. You can choose where you spend it. You cannot choose what happens with it. He spent it all. There was a famine. He didn't cause the famine. The famine wasn't his fault. It was just life. Life happens. Famines, droughts, lack happens. He comes to be in want. He finds himself feeding pigs. A lot of people make this a big deal about him feeding pigs because he's a Jewish boy. He left Jewish life. I don't think it bothered him at all. He He was hungry. He had left the Father. He had left the community. He had left Jewish life. You'll see what he comes to realize later. And then, nobody gives him anything. In other words, the idea is if anybody would have helped him, he would have stayed where he was at. Nobody gave him anything. Here's the truth about sin. It's a kind of a poem. Sin will take you further than you ever wanted to stray, cost you more than you ever dreamed you'd pay, and it'll keep you longer than you ever thought you'd stay. You've got to understand, you have a choice, and yes, you are free to choose it. But let me tell you, sin will take you further than you thought. It'll cost you more than you ever dreamed, and it'll keep you longer than you ever thought you'd stay. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to despair, and I perish with hunger? New American standard says, My father's hired men have more than enough. It says he came to himself. You asked go, How did he come to himself? I mean he's starving, he's out there, he comes to himself. And here's the thing you, you know what how it meant that he came to himself in the next statement, my father has. In other words, how did God bring him to himself? He remembered his father. He remembered his father's house. He remembered how his father dealt with people. He remembered his father. And he said, My father's house, in my father's house, his hired servants have bread enough, have more than enough. In that culture, there was landowners like what the father was. Then there were servants or slaves that were lived in, on the property or in the house that worked the fields that, that served the, the family. Then there were merchants and craftsmen in the area. And then there were hired servants. Hired servants were day workers. They didn't have a job. They were unemployed. And most of whom, let's just say it for real, unemployable. They were the lowest of the working order. They went probably to the center of town, or there was usually a gathering place, uh, where they waited to be hired And the law commanded that they be paid at the end of the day's work. Because their living was on what was provided by the day. They were the last and the least. And his father's hired men had more than enough. What he suddenly saw... He had a change of mind about his father because he saw that his father was merciful and generous. In other words, he was good. And it's the goodness of God, Paul tells us, that leads us to repentance. He begins to have a change of mind about his father. And then verse 18, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. I will arise and go to my father. (laughs) It sounds like he's making another deal, doesn't it? Well, I'll go back home. Is he is he just going back because he's hungry and his father's good? Is he repenting or just banking on the father's mercy? But there's another part that makes you see it a little different. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I have sinned against heaven. Wait a minute. And against you. I've sinned against heaven. What does that mean? I've sinned against heaven. Well, sin against God. no. you've got to understand, as a Jewish boy, he understood the teaching about not only had he sinned against his father in leaving, but he had sinned against his own heritage. He was born a Jew. He was the chosen people of God. I have sinned against the very one who chose me to be in his family, as his son, as his representative, as his go-between on this earth, so that the world would see that God is good. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. No longer worthy to be called your son. Suddenly, you see, not only was he changing his mind about the father, he's changing his mind about himself. I'm no longer worthy. And he arose and came to his father's. He acted on the change of thinking. You see, repentance, metanoia, in the scripture means to change your white mind, change the way you think, to change the way you think, which will change the way you act. It's not just the changing the way you thought, though, that is true repentance. Changing the way you thought means that it brought you to a place of decision, a place of action. He arose. He got up and acted on His change of mind. I want you to hear me. It's not about getting repentance right or perfect. It's about returning to the Father. It's not about how well you confess your sin or how great you, you show your penance or your, how bad, how sorry you are and how you shouldn't, you don't deserve anything. It's not about that humbling of yourself like that. It's not about getting it perfect. It's about the heart of return to the Father. Look at verse 20. Look at the Father's response, the Father's love. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father interrupts his speech. But here's, I want you to see this in this scripture. While he was still a great way off, the father saw him. Folks, the father saw him wasn't because he was surprised, he was looking. I got a feeling that son's name was on his lips every morning. I got a feeling every time he walked by the road he saw his son leave by, he looked down it to see if his son was coming home. And the reason he could see him a great way off was because he was looking. And it says in he had great compassion. He had compassion. That word means to suffer with. In other words, he saw the suffering and the pain of his son that was returning. He saw him a great way off and he had compassion. His heart went up to his son, his sinful son. It means to be moved with deep longing. And he ran. Now you've got to understand, noblemen don't run. There's an air about noblemen. They really are the elite. And see, to be a nobleman in that day means that you, you don't do labor. You watch other people do labor. You don't take care of issues; you send other people to take care of issues. He would have been in a long robe. He would have been in a a, showing the dignity of his position as a landowner. And And Jesus says, "And he ran." Now, the word for ran in the Greek is not he he jogged. It's the word for the Olympic races. He hacked up his robe and boogied to his son. He raced to his son. The servants must have seen him because they took off after him because they were there when he turned around to talk to them. I don't know about you, but can you imagine what the son thought when he saw his father running toward him? He had never seen his father run before. Uh Uh-oh. And then it says... And he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. That word "kiss there literally could be taken as slobbered. He kissed and kissed and kissed and kissed. Everybody has had a mama that does that, right? Kiss and kiss and kiss and kiss and kiss, and kiss. you know uh, mom moms spit is like four oh nine it'll It'll take care of everything. You got to catch this idea. He is lavishing. His affection upon this son. Now you can make a big deal about how dirty he was. That's that's not the point. The point is, the father's going out to meet a returning son from sin. The father meets his son on the way back. Father, I've sinned. The boy doesn't even get to finish his rehearsed speech. And then the father turns around. Verse 22, he says, But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. Bring out the fatty calf here and kill it. And let us be, eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. And they began to be merry. Okay, I'm ready to get to the point. It's okay, this is the point. Here's the question I want to ask you. Why did the father let him go? Why did the father let him go in the first place? He should have never given him an early inheritance, especially not to such an irresponsible son. He shouldn't have stood by while his fun son walked away, and let alone wasted away. And certainly he should have not welcomed him home with such extravagance, See, without making him pay for his stupidity his actions make no sense at all unless the father wanted something more for his son than mere responsible behavior he wanted more from his son for his son than just service to the household he wanted something more for his son than just inheriting the stuff. It appears when you first read this story that this story is about this son and what he wanted. But if you really look at this story with spiritual eyes, you're going to find out that this story is about what the father wanted. And he wanted it so desperately that he would risk everything and spare nothing to have it. What he didn't have, what the father didn't have, was a loving relationship with his son. The younger son only saw his father as a conduit of his own pleasures. He was born in the house, he was living in the house, but he was not at home In the Father's love. And rather than force him to stay and deepen his hostility and bitterness, he let him go to run to the end of his own self sufficiency, to let him see that he couldn't save himself. And find out who his father really was. That young boy, when he left, had no idea how loved he was. And he had no idea that nothing he had done in those wasted years had compromised or changed his father's love. The father wanted his son to live loved. And he was living lost. The son left to find himself, and in doing so, lost himself. And the father stuck with him all the way, looking, longing. Well, what does it mean that he had lived loved? Verses twenty-two and twenty-four again. Here's what the father said to his servants: Bring the best robe. Put it on him. You know what the robe was? <laughs> the robe was probably the father's own robe that he wore as a nobleman in the community. It was probably handed down to him from his father. In other words, he said, Here, the, it was a robe of royalty, it was a robe of dignity, but here's what I believe it was. I think it was a, a robe of the father's righteousness. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Ring was, the, was a, a symbol of authority. That, that authority, he had the right to represent the Father. Now think about that. This. this son's just come home and the Father's putting his righteousness on him and he's putting his authority on him. Because nothing had changed as far as the Father was concerned. Put sandals on his feet. Slaves and hired men didn't wear shoes. Shoes were for those free people who had responsibility. And they killed the fatted calf. Usually was reserved for what was the best and most special of occasions in the father's life. The robe, the ring, the sandals was for the returning son. But the celebration, the fatted calf, was the party in the honor of a father who said, I've got what I wanted. i got what I wanted. My son. Restored in love. He restored his son to full sonship. My son was dead in his life. Who made him alive again? The father. He didn't earn it. It wasn't about the stuff. Stuff's never enough to show you how the father loves you. It wasn't about the blessings. It was always about the Father's love. Listen to me. All I have is yours. He wants you to be at home in His love. Jesus doesn't tell us the end of the story. Now we know there's an elder son. We're going to talk about the elder son not next week but the week after. Jesus doesn't tell us the rest of the story. Later on, I mean, He just leaves it hanging leaves it hanging at the end of that chapter. But I I took it another thing for me. I took it, he didn't tell us what happened to the younger son. He doesn't tell us. He's a restored son, but what happens with him? So this is not Scripture. This is Daryl. And I'm pretty experienced in it because I tend to live this way. A restored son... Living in the servants' quarters, listen to it. What if the festivities have ended? The servants are cleaning up, and the father comes back in, and the younger son's not there. Father asked the servants, "Have you seen my son yes sir i i I saw him going out the back door. the father. Hurries out the door and he meets another servant. Have you seen my son? He said, I saw him headed for the servants' quarters. The father hurries into the servants' quarters and he finds his son making a bed. What are you doing here? Well, preparing a place for the night. Come back to the house, back to your room. It's waiting for you. The son averts his eyes from the father's face. He says, Father, you don't know all the things I've done in the far country. I'm so ashamed to have brought such dishonor on your name. I don't deserve to sleep under the same roof. Son, You don't you understand when I put my best robe on you, I was covering all that old life with my gift of life? With my righteousness, that far country boy is dead. You are my son. You're alive in me, in my love. The son says, but your goodness in receiving me back is the very thing that makes me see what I did in the far country so terrible. The shame I feel over the life that I lived makes it impossible for me to accept that I can ever be your son. I'm completely satisfied with just being a hired hand. And the Father says to me and to you, but that's not who you are. I don't want you to serve me. I don't want your sacrifice. I want you to be my son. I want you to be a son to me. To stay a servant would totally miss what I've done in receiving you home. I want you to live in my love. Son, all I have is yours. Do you know the Father's love? Have you experienced it? You may be here this morning and be in the far country today. You can do it yourself. You can save yourself. You can do it your own way. Here's what I can guarantee you the Father's looking for you. You may have experienced His forgiveness. Here's the question Are you living in the house? Are you living at home in His love? Are you seated at His table? Are you robed in His righteousness with the freedom to act on His behalf in a world that desperately needs to see the Father's love? The Lord's inviting you to His table. Inviting you off the road. Inviting you into the house. I want want your love. I want you to know how much I love you. And nothing's going to change about that love. Lord, teach us how to live love. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I'm asking you this morning that you would show your love in personal presence. Lord, if there be one here that has lived their life in the far country, would they catch eyes with you? Would they see what you've done in giving your Son in their place that you could forgive and have them as your sons and daughters. Lord, if there's people here that are living less love because they think the shame of it all and the shame of what their past has been and the shame of it will keep them from the house. And Lord, I'm asking you to reveal to them that they don't have to live in the servants' quarters. There's a seat at the table because all you have is ours. Lord, let us stand on the rock, the solid rock of your love, and never realize uh, everything I do is going to be walking off from that. I'm going to live in that. I'm going to walk in that. And let me know that it's not about the stuff, it's about the love. You're there for me. You're in me. You go before me. You come behind me. You hold me up. You lift me. Lord, my days are in your hands. Loved. Hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to you this morning. And allow Him to love you. Would you stand together with me? All He has is yours.
0: Isn't it beautiful that God loves us so much that He doesn't make us live the rest of our lives with the decisions that we made one time? He will always, always welcome us back. No matter where we've been and what we've done, He's waiting, eagerly waiting for us to come back. Let me pray for you. Father God, this week, would you just show us the places where we might have walked off on our own and away from you and your love? Holy Spirit, would you show us how much God loves us and how eagerly you are waiting for us to come back to you? and your love, and your open arms. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all for being here this morning. Check out New Covenant for upcoming events, and have a wonderful week together. Thank you for listening to this week's message.